this day, whenever you're launching, I want to ask a question. Is where is it that we should look for true filling of life? What is it that really fills our life to overflowing? Because we hear so many messages in the world. Students graduating high school hear that uh, their their primary way of being valued in the world and having a life that's full is by uh, finding their way into the most prestigious universities. We we live in a community that tells us that only the, the highest level of success and, and income is what's of greatest value and ultimately fills us with the most lasting meaning. And that's not at all what the scripture tells us. Because there is something deeper and more that God is offering to you and to me. And it has nothing to do with those things that the world tells us. But what is it that really fills our life? Why don't we talk about a mission statement that is to call or in and beyond to live in the fullness of the life that is available through Jesus. Why do we say language like that? It's because no matter how stuffed an income might be or successful a job might be or all of these trappings of the world, it does not always equate to fullness of life. In fact, it never does apart from Jesus. A fullness that is lasting and forever, deep and meaningful. What is it that truly changes a life? What is it that truly puts us on a path of continual growth? What is it that we need for life transformation and to have a perspective that has changed in this way? Where is it that we seek information that will sustain our spiritual growth? Well, the short answer is Jesus in the Scripture. Jesus in the Bible. That is just what we we come to look at in our passage today. Jesus himself talking about who he is and how he will come to approach his teaching ministry and talking about what it is that truly fills a life and puts us inside the will and purpose and desire of God. And that's where we turn in our passage of Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 17, Jesus continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus, in this passage, he, he tells us that he takes the scripture seriously. Jesus is, as you might remember, as he's beginning into the Sermon on the Mount, we just spent several weeks looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are telling us how Jesus is the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper, for those who are allowed into the kingdom of heaven. And those who are allowed into the kingdom of heaven are the ones who recognize themselves as spiritual zeros. The ones who realize they do not have it all together. The ones who know 
that they need to turn to God for forgiveness, for purity of life, for cleansing, that they need to repent of their past life and turn wholeheartedly to God. It is people like me and like you who are beloved of God. And it is these people, such people as these, the least of the world who become the salt and the light of God into the world. And now Jesus comes and tells us how he approaches and understands Scripture and how we are to look to him. He takes Scripture seriously, and so should we, is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He says that, that don't think I've come to abolish, I've come to, to put away, to somehow undermine the law and the prophets. That's, that's a way the Hebrew mind would have thought about the entirety of what we call Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the law and the prophets. Do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to do away with that. In fact, just the opposite. I have come not to chop it down and to put it away, but I have come to let it bloom because I am its flowering. I am the end result. I am the one, he says in the Gospel of John, that the Scriptures speak about. That all of the Hebrew Scriptures point to the coming of Jesus. And now we live on the other side of history so that we look forward because of Jesus and go forward into the future with Jesus. We are not to take the scripture lightly or to diminish it, the Bible says. Who, who in the world, in the day that Jesus was talking, this, this large crowd was assembled on a hill, uh, the beautiful day likely around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus has this crowd gathered and he's speaking to them. And who is it? in their minds, was known for taking the Scripture most seriously of their day. Do you know who that was? It's the, the group that Jesus often found him, uh, himself encountering and, and critiquing. And they were always trying to trap him. It's the Pharisees, right? They were the ones. If you wanted to think of somebody who really took their religious life seriously, somebody who really was known to take the Scripture very seriously, the Pharisee would have been the first and last name to come into your mind if you were a first century Jewish person living in Palestine. You see, the Pharisees, more than any other group, took seriously the letter of the law. They took it upon themselves to, to encourage themselves and each other in living out, they thought, the implications of the law. You see, the Pharisees focused on the 613 different commands found in the first five books of the Bible. And that would be the equivalent. If you took each command, each of those 613 commands, and, and you wrote them each on a line and double-spaced on a normal 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, you would end up having 24 sheets of paper across your wall around your home. Can you imagine this? 613 different commands that they sought diligently to try to uphold and to live out in their life and to keep the letter of the law. In addition to those... They, they thought it important to also incorporate the oral traditions that then gave description and there were increasing uh, regulations and rules. If, if one was to be faithful to God, you had to keep the letter of the law. Nobody in this day took more seriously the scriptures and keeping them rightly with God and to evaluate their life in view of them. You see, the Pharisees were exemplars of extreme effort of keeping everything just right. 
with God. The Pharisees would have been known as being hungry for righteousness. They just approached God in the wrong way. They had gotten off track, and this is according to Jesus himself. You see, the Pharisees were really the origin of self-righteous people. People that in their own effort and attempt to keep the commands of God actually found themselves farther away from God rather than closer to God. What did Jesus point out about their approach, about this particular approach of trying to to please God by keeping the, the letter of the law, the list, these 24 pages of commands. Can you imagine trying to live your life just checking these things off every day and every week? And have I broken any of these things? Have I have done anything wrong here? You see, what Jesus and how he evaluates this approach to God is that it becomes an overwhelming burden. And ultimately, it crushes the person. In one passage, Matthew 23, he, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so that you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. In another passage where he's describing this teaching, he says that, that you'll actually take it in a religious way, you'll set aside part of your income and dedicate that income to God, even though your own family is in need. And, and what a shame it is, because you're not fulfilling the law of mercy, so that you can deal with what you have put together in your own traditions about what you think honors God, trying to keep the letter of the law, but the life of what God intended had been sucked away and blown out. You can almost hear the sigh of the people gathered on the hillside of Jesus. You can almost hear the sigh. When he says, you know, don't think I've come to abolish the law, if I've come to fulfill it, that would have piqued their curiosity. And then he goes into saying that no one should, should consider uh, and, and set aside any of the least of the law. Because if they do, they'll be considered least in the kingdom. Those who, who uh, take the full uh, uh, approach to the law are, will be considered great in the kingdom. And so uh, they, they probably begin to ask themselves, well, do I want to be least in the kingdom or great? Do I, do I want to be on the wall of shame or the wall of fame? And by the way, that I keep uh, the law and God's commands. And the sigh was probably one of groaning, I would imagine, because they are probably at this point looking at Jesus and thinking, here he is, a Pharisee, focused on keeping the letter of the law, but that's not at all who Jesus was. You see, Jesus, the very next and last uh, verse of this passage, verse 20, he says something that was completely unexpected. It, it would have completely shocked them and, and boggled their mind in so many ways. He says that unless your righteousness goes beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless your righteousness goes beyond the religious leaders, unless, unless you have something more than what they have. And what a, a, a punch in the gut to think that they must somehow out-righteous the righteous Pharisees. How in the world would they do that? Their sigh goes to one of, of deep distress, I'm sure, in trying to process 
what they just heard. What do you mean, Jesus, that my righteousness has to exceed even that of the Pharisee, the most serious religious person in our, uh, in our culture? I can't possibly do that. And that's exactly the conclusion Jesus wants them to come to, and exactly the conclusion Jesus wants you and me to come to. Because in our own strength, and in our own striving, and in, in our own attempt to please God, we will always fail. We will never measure up. We can never do enough. We can never keep all of the list accurately. We are unable to. And it becomes a burden when we attempt to do that. It becomes a burden that overwhelms us. And you know what it ultimately does? It crushes us. It is a weight that will ruin our lives. But there's someone who can keep it perfectly. There's someone who did keep the law perfectly. There was only one who did so. And his name is Jesus. There's only one who both uh, is the righteous one and gives that righteousness over to you and to me. You see, he talks in this passage, he's trying to help us understand that we and our lives are transformed by Jesus and are informed by the Scripture. Transformed by Jesus and informed by the Scriptures. You see, we are transformed by Jesus. Jesus, then, is the source of our righteousness. Our own righteousness before God, being right and being in, in a good relationship with God and, and having the fullness of God's life in us and how that then affects and impacts our living in the world, it only comes through the source of Jesus. Jesus is the one who transforms us. Jesus is the one who has come into the world and, and as he's come into the world, he didn't just come to teach because his ultimate purpose was to be put to death because he lived that perfect life unto his Father, a life that you and I could never live on our own, in our own strength, and in our own wisdom, and in our own cleverness, and our own sense of, of moral rightness. We never have enough morality all on our own. We are not clean enough. But Jesus is the only life who has lived perfectly unto the law. He is perfectly righteous, and when he is put to death on the cross, his righteousness, it does something to the reality of the sin that has broken the world and fractured your relationship with God. It does something fundamental to that reality. And, and it, it takes the sin and Jesus absorbs that sin into himself, the righteous one dying for you and me, the unrighteous. And as he does that, he then offers his gift of salvation, this gift of life, the full life that he wants to offer. He is the one who offers his very righteousness to you so that you and I, our righteousness does go beyond that of the Pharisees. Not because we're trying harder. Not because we're, we're living a more moral life than the Pharisees ever could do. No, it's because we have put our faith and trust wholeheartedly into the righteous one, Jesus. And his righteousness now covers you when you have done that. When you have recognized your sin and you have turned from that sin, you say no more to that. And always now, forevermore, with you, Jesus, in my life as the centerpiece of my life. That is how we now live a life 
the source of righteousness. He, Jesus, alone is the source of righteousness. But there is a course of righteousness, and that is what the Scripture is for. You see, we are informed by the Scripture. Jesus is the source of righteousness, but the Scriptures now become, the Bible becomes, the course of righteousness. It is, it is the, the playbook, it is the guidebook for our living now. And it is something that is so essential for us. Yes, the Bible is an old book, and sometimes the language can be funny. And until we become familiar with some of the stories and the interactions of God with His people, uh, it can feel old. But the Bible is still gold today, even though it is old. In fact, every generation that has come along always thinks that it's it's now enlightened. Enlightened, it's educated, it no longer needs God or His Bible because they've got life figured out. And, and societies continue to recycle these same, same thoughts over and over again, and they find themselves in the same places of destruction and, and war and violence. The Bible, you see, in our prayer life is what God invites us into so that we can connect with God. These are connecting practices. And so if we are to know the fullness of the life God desires for you, it is so essential that these regular patterns of your living become a part and parcel of your daily life. That, that you take up the Bible and you read and you listen and you take the Bible into your life because it is God's source book. It is your, your course book for living a life on the pathway of God. And spending time in prayer with Jesus... He is the one who refreshes you day by day as you walk in His righteousness. In our rooted study that many of us have been doing, as we talked about the importance of, of regular Bible reading and how God meets us in the Scripture and, and how we, we can begin to have an attitude where we look forward to being with God, uh, the question was asked, in, in a healthy marriage, does a husband or a wife ever wake up and sit down for five minutes and share a cup of coffee with their spouse and and when they're done, they, they push away from the table, get up and walk away, and they say, Whew, I'm glad that's done. I don't have to do that again until tomorrow. Right? What kind of a relationship is that? That, that is no healthy relationship that, that lacks enjoyment and, and appreciation for each other. And so it is how often many of us approach our regular time with Jesus. Is that it, it can become such a burden or something we don't look forward to because we've lost the sense of the joy of meeting with the creator of the universe, the one who has died, given his life for you, shed his blood for you, out of his great love for you. And we can move away from that sense of tender relating to, to the Lord, and we can forget what that is like. So I pray for you, brother and sister, that you would have a renewed hunger and desire to be with Jesus that you would enjoy His presence, and that every day you would walk away from your time alone with Him in your prayer time, and you would wish that you had more time, and that you would take up increasing time day by day, and you would prioritize it. It would become such a valuable reality for you, because He is your source of righteousness, and that you would enjoy your time in the Scripture, knowing that it is how God begins, that God continues to speak to you and, and to re, re, uh, continue to guide you along your walk with Him. As you read the Scripture, I encourage you, just sit down. It, it doesn't have to be so hard. 
sit down and you know, yes, there are going to be things that will confuse you, and there will be things you don't understand at times. I've been reading the Bible for years, and there's still things that, that I open up, and I'm like, I didn't know that was in there. Or, I, I, I'm still confused about some things, or I, I miss how one thing connects to another. And so that, those are opportunities that God is inviting you to learn more, to study more, and to grow in your knowledge of the Scripture. But as, as you open your Bible, it can be as simple as just looking and, and just beginning to read. Start off in a gospel, just beginning to read a couple of verses, a passage, a chapter, maybe two. And once you come across something that either challenges your life or comforts you in that moment, just pause right there. Just pause and begin to reflect and take that with you through the day. And allow God's Spirit to take what has challenged you or comforted you. And it's not going to be always one or the other. You're not always going to find comfort in the Scripture. Because there are times when God wants to challenge a behavior of your life. He wants to challenge a pattern that has taken root in your life. And He wants to disrupt it and to break that pattern and that stronghold in your life. And there are times when, when you're walking and you're confused, you're, you're, you're facing something of great trouble, you're facing an unknown quality in your workplace or uh, your educational pursuit, whatever it might be, and, and you need a, a sense of comfort and a reminder that God is with you, that no matter what the circumstances around you are, that God undergirds your life and He is going ahead of you in your life and you refix your eyes on Him and whew, in that moment... You can find the great comfort of God's Spirit washing over you again, and you rejoice in how God speaks to you through the Scripture. So I encourage you, let the Scripture be your, your information for how to live in the righteousness of God as you focus on what He challenges you with and what He comforts you in. And allow Jesus, recognize Jesus as the source, the only source of your righteousness. So I want to ask you as we conclude today, if you have never asked Jesus to be in the driver's seat of your life, I want to ask you to consider that today. Consider that this week. If you've never understood surrendering your entire future into the hands of Jesus, turning away from your old patterns of unfulfilling attempts at life, and giving your whole heart into the hands of Jesus, confessing your sin, turning away from that old way of life and turning to the new way of life that Jesus wants and offers to you. It is something you must receive personally into your own life. It's not a game that we play. It's a life that we live. It's the joyous life that fills you. If you've never done that or you're not certain that you've ever come to a place of really surrendering your life fully into the hands of God, I want to encourage you. You can call the church office anytime. You can email again to Baptist at gmail.com. Talk to your group leader. Just say, you know, I'm just not sure where I am with God today. And let your group leader talk with you and pray with you and, and, and surround you with the goodness of God's Word. And you will be blessed and filled with the goodness of God. Don't let another day go by. If your life is not surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees, because Jesus and Jesus alone is your righteousness. Living God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment together, your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would unleash your word in our hearts. That you would help us hear it fresh in the way that people hearing Jesus' words heard it. 
and that you would challenge us, you would comfort us, you would remind us of your love and your mercy, your grace, and may we walk in it always. We pray in Jesus now, in your precious, amazing name, life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming name, Jesus, the one that we love because he has first loved us.